0: Please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at Creativityandcaptivity.fun. This is Creativity and Captivity, I'm Pat Hazel. Today, I visit with a poetic polymath and a lightning rod lyricist who thrives in many mediums. This Brooklyn-based artist is bright, she is bold, and she is boundlessly creative. I won't box her in by labeling her as one thing, all I will say is that she is a force with a wellspring of ideas that can't be held back. Coming up next is my conversation with The Jean Grey.
1: That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free. You're captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. La, la, la,
0: Hello. Hi. I call you The Gene Grey, because uh-huh. I know there's always something said about your name, but I'm not a comic book reader, so you are the Jean Gray to me.
1: Oh, you know what? That's good. Let's. Um, I'll contact Marvel like right yes. after this and be like, mm, shut it down. Yes, and also give me all the residuals from any <laughs> from that anything that's ever been out. <laughs> Just give me a
0: sense of your beginning. I know that you were a dancer when you were a kid, and even were involved with the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. Mm-hmm. That's a very disciplined company and organization to be associated with.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times when I'm like, oh, I danced uh, as a kid and you're like, oh, it's, you know, parents sending their kids to dance class. My mom sent me to learn tap, not at Ailey, when I was about four. So that's when I started. It was also because she had taught me to read very early. I believe it backfired on her. (laughs) And she was like, you are talking too much and doing way too much and you need to get away from me. She did not say that, but as an adult without children, but just knowing how much it takes through the day, I can only imagine the handful that I was. So amongst the many things that she got me out of the house to do was dance. And it was about five days a week. And I did everything from, I started when I was very, very young, like four or five, tap, ballet, jazz, modern dance, I sort of thought at that time from like four to 13, 14, that that would be my career. That was my plan. But I also didn't think I would generally just be doing that. I looked at a yearbook from fourth grade and everybody wrote like what they were going to be. And mine just said entertainer. Oh. Ah. And I was like, can't hold me down. I don't know. I'm not sure. One of these things.
0: But that opened you up to a lot of, I mean, because a dancer's career has a tendency to have a shelf life. Yes. And you, you start to break down pretty early.
1: Yeah. And I think what that kind of meant for me, even understanding that and like going through and being as disciplined as I was, that I still have to know how to do other things because this will end at a certain point. So I have to be able to move forward into, into doing something else.
0: And then it's not the truth of music. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Or comedy, having a sense of humor, having music and being a storyteller, which I would consider you to yeah. be in high order are all things that you can only keep aging into. Yes. Which allows for sort of a limitless well of ideas.
1: I do agree. And I think that that goes for most kinds of music. Then I think there's some special things that happen in rap, in pop culture, Mm. in age, and then in gender. Even though there are, we're going through this life, we're infinite beings in these finite bodies, that there are limits from society that are like, "Mm, you're not infinite. (laughs) Get out of here.
0: Yes, fair enough. I think there's many limiting factors that include gender bias, that include Mm -hmm. systemic racism, that include all of those things are obstacles that people with any kind of privilege, and it's very unique because the word privilege seems to scare some people, it mm-hmm. triggers them to say, well, I'm not rich. Well, no, privilege can just be that you're able-bodied. Privilege mm-hmm. can be any number of things that if people weren't so defensive, it feels like that's what happens is that they go, Yeah, no, 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 but 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 I'm I'm one of the I'm a good person. I don't, <laughs> you know, what I mean it's such a really yeah. So I respect and in many ways admire your ability to break through some of those areas with your unique style. With finding your own personal voice, with being fearless in some ways, you don't see them as an obstacle, but they still exist.
1: Yeah. I think in my youth, I was very much like, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm afraid of two things I'm afraid of water bugs and <laughs> roller coasters, not with them, not necessarily afraid of them. Just no thank you. Then, you know, you start to realize, like, oh, no, fear is a, Although it's not a real thing, it is a very real thing. There's a difference between being fearless and being like, I'm just, I think I'm more competitive. I appreciate challenges. And if it's the the idea is that someone's saying that I can't do something, I'm like, well, well, it's going to get done then. Right. And I see voids.
0: Yeah. Can you explain that further to me?
1: There are so many open spaces in in whenever it is, whether it be music or film or or creativity or just the world in general, that have had the door closed for so many reasons. I think all the reasons we just discussed, and especially due to privilege and due to maintaining privilege, Mm -hmm. that these things remain closed. And what I have tried to do in any discipline that I approach is being able to see what the opening is and then being able to be like, no, no, why don't we do, why isn't this happening? Let's just do it.
0: Yeah. And as a writer, and this is so many mm-hmm. different kinds of what you do, writing is listening. Yeah. And when you listen and you observe just that little crack in the place, you know, I'm always fascinated on the freeway where you see some something growing out of the crack mm-hmm. in the freeway and you're like, boy, that seed wanted to, to be seen. Yeah. That, it decided it was going to take whatever rain it could and it was going to show people I can live in these the worst circumstances. And I think that you, from the songs that I've listened to, and I have to say that I'm new to your material, I took a journey the last few days, which was really interesting. And in in the song, Don't Rush Me, mm-hmm. it felt like there was a mission statement about really getting to know yourself and mm-hmm. coming through all of that. Was that somewhat confessional or personal in terms of the content of that or was it based on another story turn that you found
1: just saying that thing existing in spaces is a beautiful way to describe it i think existing in those spaces especially in music writing wise is something that i always strive to do i think that was my driving force in rap was writing to the places in the music that were not available to everyone falling into those pockets Being that kind of technician, then things like Don't Rush Me, which I think for me, most of my vulnerable rap work is what people gravitate to. And I think that was also a space, seeing that 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 was open and being like, I never cared About being completely honest and completely transparent and saying, This is what the problem is. I'm that way in person, in general. So it was never anything to translate it to there. I'm like, Well, this is what it is. This is just who I am. It's also like journaling and being able to look back at that, like listening to Don't Rush Me Now. I'm like, Oh, listen to the baby. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) what was going on? Oh my God. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but here's what's so amazing about it. Because you were willing to voice it at that time, Mm -hmm. I feel like your listener needs that message now about being more disciplined, about facing aging, about There are tones in there, particularly a phrase like, I can change that shit.
1: Yep. They don't, some people don't know they can change that shit. It's a huge deal to be like, I'm just stuck in this place. Even though you can recognize you can change that. This is what I've been doing in the past few months, sort of remembering that and being like, hey, you can wake up tomorrow morning. There's all these infinite versions of you that live in the future, They're future you. You can change that at any point so that the past you is becoming future you, but you have to live there. The problem is not even just recognizing it. I think I recognized it at that point, but I didn't necessarily know how to do it.
0: Right. You weren't proactive about the change.
1: No. I was still being very reactive.
0: Which I think people confuse. They say, I'm doing everything I can. But oftentimes they're replaying the script of the victim. I acknowledge that we can't change the past, that our story is built on a foundation of things we don't even choose. Our parents, how we get into the world, what happens around us. We don't have that much control. But once you are in charge of yourself, you can be the hero of your story. And Take Mm -hmm. work, and you may have to change disciplines, and you may have to change environments, and you may have to work hard to learn something. Mm -hmm. But it's better to epically fail on the journey towards what you want to be than it is to accept what everything around you is saying, keep doing it the same way.
1: It's hard.
0: Oh, it's so hard.
1: It's the hardest fucking thing to do. And I will challenge the notion of saying you can't change the past because I think that happens in every single moment. 10 minutes ago is now our past, right. but I could have changed all of that with just my answers. This could have gone a different way. You could have asked a different question. So I think we're constantly in charge of our past and our present, our future. It all exists at the same time. And in order to be like, hey, I'm really going to step into that other me, you have to acknowledge that they all exist together. Yeah, that's a, that's a good and, one to look at. And welcome to this talk on quantum right. physics. <laughs> Hey, listen, I knew
0: I was going to get school today. I just didn't know it was going to be graduate level work at this moment. (laughs) I was introduced to you by a previous guest, Open Mike Eagle, who also happened to be one of the great champions of our even getting this podcast on the air. It was because he has a network, Stony Island Audio, that has given us a forum. He's such a creative guy, and he has so many balls spinning. And when he just said, hey, you need to talk to Gene Grey, that was all we needed to hear. Well, I'm attracted to people that are that creative, that there's a gravitational pull to be around other people who are open-minded, that are thinking mm-hmm. of other ways to attack a problem, or just shining a light yeah. in a dark area and and making it okay for everybody to live in the discomfort or to find it. I mean, I think you're a big uh, social activist and I know have a lot of ahas in your music. I do like how you use pop culture <laughs> phrasing and rhyming i think and don't rush me you you mentioned uh george papadopoulos it's just a funny name to hear
1: i like to do things as someone who was uh grew up on 70s and 80s cartoons and things and i think even watching children's shows and children's movies and animation what i love about those things is that you're like okay is this for kids or is this not for kids I love things that deliver a message for the greater audience. And then there's details in there. And you're like, that wasn't for everybody. But if you get it, congratulations, this was for you. So being able to connect with like these tiny little Easter eggs. And I'm like, I know Papadopoulos sounds like a (laughs) random name to just throw in there. But it's absolutely not. And it says so much about me and where I come from. And maybe I'm not talking about exactly how old I am but yeah you know what the fuck it is
0: yeah it's interesting because it's almost like a tattoo inside a song because i know oh i know what time of frame she was writing this mm-hmm. in where she was in the world's evolution at that point but you also choose to do things in different styles i listened to some of the stuff from the orchestral files and that music is a little more swelling and how did you come to that approach
1: Well, the orchestral files is a fun one to discuss. It was actually done with a company. And I think this has very much changed the way I started to do my business practices later in life. When you're getting into the music business and especially as an independent person, and you're like, oh, great, someone's actually offering me some money to do some things, and that'll make it a lot easier. And a lot of times, For those of us who are very independent and so used to working on our own time, it does not make it any easier and contracts stick around for a long time. So for any creatives listening to get yourself a good lawyer, get yourself a great lawyer. You don't necessarily, I'm not a person who needs a manager. I'm not necessarily a person who needs an agent, but I I have them, a lawyer, is extremely important and educate yourself on on some things. I say that all to say, the orchestral files. I had no idea that album was coming out. Much like another album called The Evil Genius. So these things were done with a label that I was doing so many mixtapes at the time because I was on tour. So I was just recording rhymes over other people's music and a mixtape sort of thing, and my vocals were then taken by the label and without my consent or knowledge, these albums were released. Wow. Which is a wild thing to do. Now, one, that's crazy. (laughs) It's a fucking crazy thing to do. You like leeches. Like that's the part of the music business that you're like, Oh, uh, there's, there's people can't be that. Yes, they can. They can be that fucking terrible Two, artistically. I wrote, very fast. I was a fast writer. I wrote everything on the spot for that song. Usually in the booth, one or two takes. If I go any further than that, I'm like, what a failure. (laughs) And probably uh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes at most for a song. And I'm so specific to writing to that specific music that what should have mattered to me more was the legal aspect of it but what matters to me even more is people like years down the line being like I love this song and I'm like I would never write that to that. Yeah. I would never have written that song to that beat. Absolutely not. That's not the thought that would have came out. That's not how the the flow should happen. So you are understanding something different than the intended purpose of the song and I think that's what angers me so much. Because I understood later in life that my story was really about controlling my own narrative. And so this is people literally telling a different story and then presenting it to the world as I am someone else.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because beat Mm -hmm. for rap, beat is a really important part of getting that groove going. Mm -hmm. And so it, wow, that's a really interesting.
1: It's everything. Yeah. Besides producing, I'm, I was always like super picky about beats and I'm like, it has to be conveying the same thing. The music has to be talking to you at the same time I'm talking to you. And if I decide to pause or take a breath or do anything in my absence, the music still has to be telling you the same thing. So it's such a wild fucking
0: thing to do. You can put as many exclamation points on the end of that as you want, because (laughs) <laughs> no because it is so violating and the fact that it yeah. you were not even aware of it until you heard it no did it come in the form of a release or
1: <laughs> i went to is a very important a store for indie rap music in new york called fat beats i walked in and i was like what is this i physically picked up the vinyl and i was like what 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 is happening who who is this is there another my sci-fi brain went directly to, I've been cloned. And I was like, "Gene, no, you haven't. No, that's not. That's probably not the explanation.
0: It, it feels like you're picking up at a thrift store a family album <laughs> and your face has been put over uh, somebody else's body.
1: Yeah. I think that's generally what my career in rap has felt like. That is an incredibly good analogy. And I'm like, none of this is ever who I ever said I was like, I felt like I was really clear, but also people don't fucking like that shit.
0: Right. So let me ask a question then when you had an honest collaboration with like the roots or someone, are you recording with them or writing with them at at those moments when you're in a collab? I mean, is that kind of how the relationship happens when you agree to do something in collaboration?
1: Yeah. I was always not very good at playing with (laughs) others. (laughs) I think I'm very much a lone wolf, and I think that also comes from the place of being like, I want things done when I want them done at the time that I want them done and how I want it done. And at a certain point, it takes longer for me to explain something, and I'm just like, oh my God, I'll just do it myself. I think that was also the part of becoming self-sufficient and being like, I don't need to, I don't want to wait on an engineer. I don't want to have a book to book a studio. I don't want to wait on a beat. If I'm doing a song with someone else, I'll just do the other voices, <laughs> which was like being, creating the generals, which is like five other characters. And I was right. like, I'll just do it myself. But collaborations were very far and few in between for me. And it, it really had to be a um, people who match my work ethic at that time, it was it was definitely being being in the studio with everyone, which drove me even further to be like, finish fast. Finish faster than everyone else. So you were
0: even competing against your own
1: best time? Always, in everything.
0: Now, you did do a collaboration with Quell Chris. That's your partner. Mm-hmm. I believe it's called Everything's Fine. What's it like to collaborate with a life partner? Do you put the work down and... Have dinner without discussing it, or is it ongoing until you <laughs> till it's completely pressed and ready to go?
1: I think it's ongoing until we die, or, or one of us dies. Right, that's what
0: they mean by death. Do you part? Right. <laughs>
1: It's the no. part where I get you. That's
0: another way out of it.
1: We had done an, another album that's on Bandcamp called I Sweater God together. And uh, he was on three of my uh, That's Not How You Do That albums, which are adult instructionals. Then we had done uh, multiple things, uh, sort of in New York. I was doing this um, thing where I was rewriting the sequels to movies. So, like, we did live Ghostbusters 3 before the Ghostbusters came out. And I think it was Revenge of Winston, which was. Amazing. And then we did um, The Goonies 2. So we did those live, which was ridiculous. We did them at Union Hall. And then he was also involved with my show show, which was another residence. And then we worked on another project called Doubled Over, which was twice a month at Alamo Draft House. We would pretty much create like an hour and a half, like a whole channel where we would splice all this footage together and then overdub everything. That's great. And, and like re, reshoot and, and do some some original work. So I think by the time we got to that, it was like, okay, we're, we're used to working together. We're used to collaborating. We have very different ways of working. He's very much the same way he sounds on record. Very free spirit and very loose. And I'm very like, very stringent. Like, this is happening. Then this is happening. I'm the person who will come in and tell the engineer and be like, something's wrong. I'm off. in in the timing. And they're like, no, it's fine. I'm like, I'm listening to it. I am not on beat. That is not how I said it. And then they'll go in and be like, yep, no, it's off. And I'm like, if that had Uh. gone out, I would have just had to kill myself. (laughs) Just listening to that forever. So a learning process. But I think because we know each other in life and it's life is a fucking collaboration anyway. Difficult, but rewarding. At the same time, I think we're so so different production wise. We're so so different. So it was really cool to be. I think that was the best part of the project for me. Like hearing what he would do mm. over my beats because he's he's very lo-fi and minimalist, and I'm very like I need 200 tracks of strings. <laughs> 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 so it it was really interesting to like hear hear both of us uh, be in those spaces.
0: It must be kind of a, a nice energy to have creation going on around the house all the time. Something to share with each other.
1: Yes and no. We've always discussed how difficult it is being the kind of creative people we are, especially multidisciplined people, because I think to the outside world and when you get hired to do anything, if you're freelancing, everybody's like, okay, well, isn't it cool to just like... I wish I could do that. I wish I could just hang out. And like. I'm like, oh, we are not just fucking hanging out. <laughs> like, and they're like, oh, this is so magical what you get to do. I'm like, this is not fucking magical. You know what would be magical is being guaranteed a check every month at a certain day and knowing when that's going to happen and having insurance and benefits and someone to just tell me what to do. Can I just, can someone just... By the way, you wouldn't last do. very long
0: being told what to do.
1: No. And so that's, right. that's the issue. Uh, no, it does <laughs> not work out. I have tried.
0: Also, you're writing about things that are about struggle, about loss, about society. Yeah. It's a truly powerful form of expression. Even this podcast is a result of the absence of expression. My stage was mm-hmm. taken away. My directing of commercials was taken away. I I sat in that void thinking to myself, well, okay, I don't have a venue, but I do have a voice. What can I do with it? Where is, is there, and and also I wanted to be significant. And success to me wasn't about money. It was about, Mm -hmm. oh, are we putting something out of value? And a conversation with you about your creative process, to me, I believe there are people who need to hear this, who are maybe either working in a non-creative environment or who. Yep. believe themselves to be creative person but they're in some button down life and job and marriage they just need to hear you or i say it's okay to pick up the guitar on the weekend it's okay to go back to that dance class it's okay yes you know they don't give themselves yes. permission because they feel like oh i'm supposed to be only thinking about my accounting job
1: the only thing you're supposed to be is is yourself, like 100 percent, honestly and truly yourself. What you just described, uh, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with my church.
0: I, I know about it, but I'd like to share it with others. I know that, it's, yeah, yeah, you have a uh, a ministry, and it's called the Church mm-hmm. of the Infinite You.
1: It started because of exactly what you were just talking about. And I was on tour for many years, but after shows, I would end up talking to people and sort of hanging out afterwards or going to get something to eat or whatever city I was in. I also found out that the people really like to talk to me. My joke is that I was always like, oh, I thought these tattoos when I got them would deter that. <laughs> but but no, sadly, <laughs> sadly the opposite. And then I was like, no, it's good. I really do like talking to people. So wherever I would go, I would in a restaurant, wherever, and be like, hey, so what do you really do? What's your thing? And talk to so many people who were like, I'm a writer, or I'm an artist, or I, I want to be a baker, I want to be a stand-up comedian. And I was like, okay, so then why aren't you doing that? Like, what's going on? We would get into these conversations, then I'd be like, all right, so I'm, you know, going to check up on you or check up with me. Just start something, in anything, 10 minutes out of the day, five minutes. I know not everyone is, is and that's a privilege too, time, being able to devote Any kind of time to something. There are so many circumstances that can take these things away from you, take the time away from you. And even if the time isn't taken away from you, that the world has taken away your ability to think that you have the time. (laughs) Because you're like, I can't fucking think about this right now. Why? Why would I do that? I felt like I could not do one person at a time. Very difficult.
0: And time consuming,
1: no doubt. I can't just talk to one person. So, Church of the Infinite You began what if we do a Sunday service? And I asked Shannon Manning at Union Hall and she was like, that sounds great. I was like, people can come in. It's in the afternoon. Bring your kids, day drink. There will be cursing. (laughs) (laughs) There will also be a choir. And and then that was my part of being like, I give myself too many jobs. And then I'm like, great. I'm going to arrange all of this music and arrange choir music because that's also something, one of my favorite things is arranging. And basically it was that. It was having all these people in this space, preaching a a sermon, which is like, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Getting toxic people out Mm -hmm. of your life, finding your relationship with others, learning how to protect each other for real in the community and what that truly, truly looks like. Learning what self-care is for you and not necessarily what's sold. Doesn't work for everyone. It was a lot. Like People got divorced people (laughs) change their jobs. And I was like, okay, this is what I want. And then I realized it was taken also a lot out of me.
0: You know, you're making a big impact. You have church merch, sweatshirts and things that have great headline reminders about dreaming and executing that and then repeating it. Mm -hmm. People need things in the bite-sized golden nugget form yeah, in order to remind themselves of how powerfully important it is to see yourself as valuable and to honor your form of expression, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. if it's art, if it's music, if it's anything, if it's athletics, because that's really what the life giving part of it is. It's not chasing the bills and paying them off each month and raising the rates on you so that you have to run faster away from what you are. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing because that's, that's the rat race we're on, on a treadmill.
1: It's fucking hard to to look at things and be like, these are things what I want to do, but also the bills. It's like rent and food, literally. I go through these things every day, every month, and trying to figure out how do we do this without dying inside. Even when you feel like you've got it figured out, there's always some sort of thing. You're like you mother, <laughs> motherfucker, got me with something again. It's always that.
0: How does creativity in your life? Help you put an oxygen mask on for those moments.
1: I think for me it might be simultaneously more, more difficult and and easier because I came from a home that was always improvising because I was born into a creative business, a life of like financial instability and having to figure it out all the time and having to be able to create those things. What I figured out this year is that I don't want to do that anymore. I think I knew I didn't want to do it, but I didn't understand how to stop myself from doing it because you get so.
0: For the listener, just to to let them know, Mm -hmm. you were born in Cape town, South Africa, and your parents were jazz musicians. Am I right about that? Yes. So you don't know when it's laid out in front of you that way, that's what life is like. You watch your parents deal with those sorts of things, whether it's economy or, their creative currency and how important it is to try to make music and provide for a family. So it is, sometimes it is hard to change the content of what your DNA is built out of.
1: Very, very much. And I think even though I knew at a young age, I was like, there's so many things I love about this, but there's also so many things that I'm like, Oh man, I don't want to do that. I think the first time I learned, I understood how to do it. Like I, I quit rap long before 2018 and the instances where i had to come back into it was always a, a money question which killed me inside and i was like i was done with this a long time ago even if you're deciding you're like okay well i'm going to find this financial stability i'm not going to let my creativity or my body or my mind get burned out the really really hard thing is say no to a bunch of things I've always liked to say no to people and things and ideals, but it's really when other people are, are looking at it and be like, why that would be such a good fit for you. That would be such a good idea. And you're like, that's not who I'm going to be in life. That's not who I am. I'm not going to burn myself out. I'm not going to do it. It comes with wisdom and it comes with a lot of courage. Oh, courage <laughs> is a great word. And once again, I think uh, what you introduced in the conversation earlier was this uh, vulnerability, not not just to be uh, vulnerable to other people, but to be vulnerable to your own thoughts, get the idea of, of regret the fuck out of your mm-hmm. head because you can't be like, oh, well, if I had just taken this other thing, then I would be okay. But would you? Would you have?
0: You know, it's funny. I, I had an opportunity to teach some creative writing to some kids in juvenile detention mm. in a situation where it was pretty dramatic and they wouldn't let them even have writing implements and paper for fear that they might hurt themselves with a pen or a pencil. And I just said, I want yeah. to teach this. I will not come in there unless you let them have access to these materials 24 seven. If they say to you, yeah. I need to go and I, need, I want to write and it's three o'clock in the morning, you have to get them the materials. I browbeat this yes. place and said, they need this. But they, more importantly, this is a hope, this is an escape plan they're going to write. Even if they write it in the form of a book or a kid's book or a poem, this is their way out of this situation. And if you don't give them full freedom to write, we're going to have a problem. And one of the things I had to remind them, and I come from a Midwestern growing up sort of family that was connected. So I don't have this. Stories come from bad circumstances. The best stories are when a life is in crisis, when it's there are stakes. The Titanic would not be a story if it left on time and arrived on time. When it hit the iceberg, mm-hmm. it became a story we cared about. So mm-hmm. they, you know, in a weird way, I had to tell them, you have an advantage over other 13-year-olds because you've lived a life that you know what you feel, you know what it would be like. And we, we started with sort of a transference, which is we wrote animal stories. And so what was really Mm -hmm. interesting is with no thought at all, they would talk about the cat got something. The dog was kicked a lot, but he was still loyal. Mm -hmm. And so they were telling their story through the voice of the dog or the cat or the horse. And boy, Mm -hmm. at the end of that first session, they were gung ho to write more. The only way out is music or athletics or writing otherwise you're sort of caught a trap of what happened around you
1: what doesn't work is being like i'm allowed these certain hours to feel like i'm free and i think that's what definitely america has put in the minds of people like you are allowed the weekend and you're like oh hey i'm i'm a fucking person and (laughs) which is an insane thing but I think we're very much trained to do that from, you know, the moment we go to school and there's no no fucking good goddamn reason why schools look, it, are reminiscent of jails. Like you're just trained to be in this place with you got to go to this thing, then you got to go to this thing, then recess, then a cat. Like, what are we doing? You have to feel like you have access to your freedom all the time. And it's not just when someone else is like, I am designating that you are free at this time. That is it's fu- that is fucked up. They're already in a situation where they they know that that doesn't exist. So even to have some sort of inkling of, of hope, like I can be full just mentally and <laughs> has to exist all the time. But I do want to address also something that I grew up with thinking because I feel like it was definitely the way that my... My mom wrote her songs and, and the way that my my dad addressed composition. And generally the way people think about musicians or artists is that the best work comes from pain and struggle and crisis. And I think I definitely lived in that space. Like these are snapshots, mm-hmm. but these are all snapshots of pain because that's what speaks to people the most. And I think the shift over happens when you start to realize, you're like, you know what? It doesn't have to. I'm mm-hmm. not saying don't be vulnerable about those things or don't talk about it because relatable music and and art is fucking important. And if you don't have the voice for it and you can see or hear or feel it coming from someone else, even more so representation in someone that might look like you. But what's so important is to push this narrative of like joy and happiness and freedom and not always presenting things from this traumatic point of view. I think that's where a lot of art is stuck. I think that's where, in presenting, in, in all these corporations trying to do diversity hires and being like, well, these are the things we're going to focus on and push to you. I'm like, yeah, but they're all still somehow rooted in trauma. Why can we not just accept everyone presenting these portions of life that are good and healthy and make us feel good. I'm like, there's a fucking reason that we all love Bob Ross. I don't know if you watched that new documentary, but you should definitely watch it. Because it's it's someone making something beautiful from a happy place. And that being soothing and someone telling you, you can do exactly what I'm doing. You can have access to it. I think that is so important.
0: You may not want to encourage his hairstyle, but...
1: That is a good perm. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know what? I'll tell you what, there's a whole... It it was such a smart choice. I've seen his hair. I know that wasn't his original hair, (laughs) but what an amazing choice to connect to so many communities. Because I saw what Bob Ross... Looked like before that perm. And if I had seen that white man painting that shit at the age that I was, I would not have fucking cared.
0: Yeah. I, that's interesting.
1: What a fucking good idea for a yeah. connection. He looked
0: like Link from the mod. he had the whole thing going.
1: It was great. He had, he, he was connecting with, he kept squirrels in his pocket. I was like, what, what is this? What is all of, I want a squirrel in my pocket. But the, the idea of, art presenting itself and the message being there are no accidents. You're not a mistake. You're not making a mistake. You're not going to fail. That is so fucking important. Instead of being like, hey, get all your pain out through this and then just present it as pain. I'm not saying that pain is not going to be present because that's who we are. It's always going to fucking be there, but it doesn't necessarily have to represent that and i think especially for musicians everyone's like oh you know it's, it's great when they were in like their heroin period i'm like bitch but you don't have to do why
0: love songs don't have to be breakup songs they do not i had a friend that was a country singer and she got into bad relationship after bad relationship because it motivated her to write songs, breakup
1: songs. And especially country music because country music is such a great storytelling art that you're like, Oh, they, it takes you right into the whole situation and re it reads like a amazing script. I'm sure that I picked some terrible relationships because I was like, I, I remember saying this to people and being like, well, at least I got a fucking song out of it. Right.
0: Right. Totally. And I, I mean, from my standpoint, stand-up comedy, Mm -hmm. it is, I don't choose something to be a bad experience to write it, but I can say the less I know about it, the funnier it is to get my immediate perspective on a, a crappy thing versus a good thing. But I do live in a place of wonder and whimsy and joy. And I will try any crazy thing to, to discover what the feeling is like. It's very liberating.
1: That Is So important. I think that's not presented like it's available to everyone. That was also why people generally did not on a personal level enjoy me very much (laughs) in my rap career. I very much came from a place of Mm. pranks and whimsy and wonder and being like, "Mm, I don't I don't fucking care because that also felt like a void. Whimsy is a really good word.
0: Well, I like the wit in some of your work. There's definitely a wink uh, even though there's substantial sort of emotional resonance, but there was a, it felt like there was always a knowing wit as a part of it. Yeah. And you know just your phrasing and your subtle sort of combinations of things
1: I pushed myself always to, once I like got double entendres down, it was like working to triple and, and like quadruple entendres. Just so the joke is in like, I'm like, I don't even care if nobody else gets this. Like it's me. Yeah. And There's things I'll listen back to and be like, oh, well, that was cool. <laughs> that one's for yeah. me. I think that it's important. It's important to be witty. It's important to embrace your, your coping mechanisms
0: I read that you like uh, that you love palindromes. I do, but isn't it funny that that word can't be said backward? You would think that that would be, I don't know, a -a palinlap or something, so that it.
1: It could have been. They should just be called like autos or something, but they're not, and it's infuriating. The same way lisp. That's rude. Why would why put an (laughs) S in there? Why would you put an S in there? It's so rude. You're
0: absolutely right. (laughs) Let's say since we're talking about words, let's talk about the F word. Okay. Because you use it well. Thank you. You're prolific with it, I would say. Um, <laughs> no, but the power, I, I think about it. I'm listening to your music over the last few days, and I think, okay, I know what this word is, but she's using it for impact. Mm-hmm. You're using it. There's a power sense. And also, to somebody older, mm-hmm. it's just a dirty word. They hear the word, and they, yeah. they, they sort of shut down. And I remember being in a play once, A Few Good Men, where in the courtroom it required, you know, it was written by Aaron Sorkin and there was the word fuck was said for emphasis at some point. And Mm -hmm. there was a discussion by the theater saying, Hey, how about for the Sunday matinee, we take it out. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, that's Mm -hmm. not really what that's about. The scene is not about, it's a punctuation mark. It is, we can't Mm -hmm. go beyond this in an argument when somebody says, well, fuck you. The only response is to go well. Fuck you too, right? Like, well, fuck you you too. there's no, there's almost no level past that moment. And if you try to yeah. soft serve it, particularly in rap, if you suddenly start yeah. say flip or fire truck or something,
1: there's no point. Your your dubs have to be as entertaining. It's talking about censoring, especially in rap or in movies, I mean, do the right thing. Amazing movie, but there's that one scene where Radio Raheem. Is buying D batteries, it's twenty motherfucking D batteries. But th- of course, the censored version that we all had to watch on TV, and it then it became a thing. I was like, I think that might be funnier. Is twenty Mickey Ficky D batteries, and that big bega- became that. Just that statement became such a thing in in culture. Like snakes on a plane. I've had enough of these Monday to Friday snakes <laughs> on this Monday to Friday. <laughs> what? <laughs> Or even going into the censoring of rap was far more of an art than people acknowledge. A lot of people chose to just bleep things, but that's not what happened in rap. It was replacing it with sounds. Oh, yeah. It was Wu-Tang, you know, coming in and having slices of swords or fight sounds. And you're like, that. it's still the same kind of impact. So it's removing those words and then replacing it with, with the same impact. So you're like, I might like this version better. For me, it was being like, if I'm going to use English, I'm going to use all the English. And also, saying <laughs> motherfucker feels fucking great, just in your mouth as a mouthfeel, and claiming my my definite uh, power as a woman being able to be you know, in front of mostly what was right. crowds of men right. and being like, fuck you, shut the right. fuck up. Yeah, shut there's the just about no other fuck.
0: way to slam the safe door shut on their face than that.
1: No, there was, it was that, or just like stabbing people in the audience. And I feel like that was out for reasons. (laughs) They were not going to buy the merch.
0: Speaking of your fan base (laughs) and where they buy the merch, there's a couple of things. Where do you put out your music now? Because I know that you're doing it in other places.
1: I don't. Oh. Rap was a definite stop for me before 2018. And that's when we did Everything's Fine, which was a very accidental album for me. So I don't, but I have definitely put them out in other forms. The releases that made the most sense to me were just Bandcamp. Right. I enjoyed the way they did business. I could put something out, I could upload it myself, and it could go direct. I like having a direct relationship.
0: So the preference would be to go to Bandcamp.com as opposed to... Some of the stuff on Spotify and stuff that is not your intended release.
1: There are twenty-six projects available on Bandcamp, including all genres of music, including an audiobook. I made twenty-six projects from twenty thirteen to twenty sixteen or seventeen, I believe.
0: I don't know if it was on YouTube. I was somewhere where I saw moments with Gene Gray, which was looked like it may be part of your acting chops or comedy chops where you were doing some vignettes and and the word moments is such a great word. And in yeah. a strange way, it's it's not derivative, but it's almost a kangaroo word out of the word movement. Moments yeah. are kind of, movements are made up of moments. But can you just share why that word moment is so, felt so valuable to you to, to build a segment around?
1: Moments was actually a spot from my one woman show at the public theater that I did in 20, what year is it anymore? Nineteen? Who knows? In nineteen uh, seventy-two, <laughs> we'll just say pre-pandemic. <laughs> pre-pandemic, and it was the idea of all these these moments that don't exist, uh, representation-wise, and how they exist so much for other people. And you know, it was uh, things like a black woman alone on a lake in a boat fishing. Never seen it. What? Right. Such a simple moment. Why? It was so difficult for me to look that up, to Google it. I was like, no. Mm. that The easiest way to think of all these voids is to be like, what are the moments that are missing? Why can't, I can't, so why don't Black women normally go out and fish alone on a lake? And you're like, because nobody, it's not made a thing that you see yourself a lot going out fishing, having a beer on a lake. I've been fishing. I've had a beer on a lake. It was fucking great. I liked it a lot.
0: Yeah. Like... I think it's great that you're able to open people's eyes. You're in some ways a beacon of possibilities.
1: I hope so. Well,
0: I learned something about myself. And again, you and I are- Would you learn Well, that? it was also in the void. I have kids, I'm in Austin, Texas, and I see a crisis mm-hmm. in Minneapolis and I see an uprising. How can I get involved? How can I do something from here? Where can I amplify mm-hmm. a voice? And I have a, a biracial niece who's a poet. And I thought, you know what? I, mm. I wonder if Nikki's ever had her poetry published. And she hadn't. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I'm pretty good at putting projects together, overseeing things. This is a, a great example of how privilege giving it away doesn't
1: take anything away from yourself. I think that said for everyone. Right. Just being able to be there for someone else doesn't fucking take anything away from you. It just makes the world a better place right. if everyone can be themselves. Right. Opening doors, allowing
0: access, introducing people, any of that. So so I yeah. went to a publisher friend of someone that had a, a way of doing that. And I did some sort of crowdsourcing of money for her, but we put mm-hmm. out this great little poetry book called Calling in Black, and all of her poems are amazing. It was so great for me to connect an illustrator with her and let her pick her, what vibe she wanted, like just to sort of be supportive of a a voice in the community. In the absence of so many things that we grieved during the pandemic, of travel, of restaurant, of family, of Thanksgiving, whatever got taken Mm -hmm. away, there was a drive in getting a poet's words out in the world in a way that she wanted them heard. And I'll send you a copy of this book. I think you'll appreciate a few of the poems, Uprising and Calling in Black. They're great poems that would have been in one person's notebook in one part of the world and now are available on Amazon. It made a big difference. I couldn't go in march. I couldn't take a, a rubber bullet in the street at that time. Mm-hmm. But this made me feel like I had value in the, her story.
1: I think, you know, as long as we're constantly all, all doing it, and especially you being able to be in spaces that other people cannot exist in, and to be able to do that is incredibly important. The ability for all of us to control our own narrative and be our, our fully realized beings, which is being able to n- not just be one thing. Or be one person, or have one statement, or have one career, or have one discipline. So as long as you can keep doing good job, <laughs> thank
0: you. Good I, job, yeah. uh, thank you, Gene. It, we do. We we have to do it not just every day, but in every moment that we have a choice to do it. We need to be aware. Not just yeah. as artists, not as creatives, as human beings. Humanity is at stake here, and I think everybody deserves equal footing.
1: That's. The idea behind everything I do, it's not just the church, which is being like, hey, it's called the Church of the Infinite You because it's not fucking about me. I don't, it's not, it's not me it's, it's about you being the best you so that the whole world can get it the fuck together.
0: Voices need to be heard. Perspectives need to be shared. And everyone has some way of creating their own creative world from this conversation. So it's a yeah. big dialogue. Every artist I've talked to, every director, every ventriloquist, any kind of form we have here allows somebody to say, here's another way to show yourself to the world.
1: Here's the general message because I think we all have to go so fucking hard in this and this is the only way we fucking defeat this dumbass world. I know that there's shit that you're like, I don't have enough time to do all the things and be all the things that I want to be. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Just do them. Please do them. Please do them for all of us. And if it's not for me, then it's for someone else who might see you doing it and then being like, okay, I can do it too. And maybe you don't get to finish the work, but they get to finish the work or they pass it on to someone else who's going to finish the work, but someone has to introduce the idea. And if you don't do that, then we are fucked.
0: Invest in yourself, invest in others. Mm -hmm. You will see a return in that investment. No doubt. Gene, you're amazing. I hope that people look further into all of it and we'll have some stuff on the website that'll link them to some of your work and what you want to amplify.
1: Mm, There's a lot coming.
0: You're always welcome.
1: Thank you, man.
0: Dean you're awesome.
1: You're awesome, Pat.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative under the skilled producership of Amanda Rosenberg with sound editing lovingly provided by Delilah Lovejoy. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp, with additional production support and sanity provided by Casey Franco, Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's, or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun because dot com is just too dot common. And dot fun is so much more fun. Ciao for now. La,
1: la, 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 la. Staring at an empty page, stepping on a ghostlit stage, a circus of uncertainty. You're called a creativity. La 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 la. La 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 la. la.